Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Trisha Cuffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And today I have award-winning landscape architect, Lori Olin. His book is France Sketchbook published by Aura Editions in 2020. Now, Mr. Olin is a distinguished teacher, author, and one of the most renowned landscape architects practicing today. From vision to realization, he has guided many of Olin's signature projects, which span the history of the studio from the Washington Monument grounds in D.C. to Bryant Park in New York City. His recent project is the AIA award-winning Barnes Foundation in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, Lori studied civil engineering at the University of Alaska and pursued architecture at the University of Washington, where Richard Hagg, fortunately for us, encouraged him to focus on landscape. He is currently practice professor of landscape architecture at the University of Pennsylvania, where he has taught for over 40 years and is the former chair of the Department of Landscape Architecture at Harvard University. Lori is a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, a fellow of the American Society of Landscape Architects, and the recipient of the 1998 Award in Architecture from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. He is also the recipient of the 2012 National Medal of Arts, the highest lifetime achievement award for artists and designers bestowed by the National Endowment for the Arts and the President of the United States. He also holds a 2011 American Society of Landscape Architects Medal, the Society's highest award for a landscape architect. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tricia. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, normally I ask guests, you know, like, what is your motivation for writing this book? But in this case, I'll change it. Um, what was your motivation for drawing this book? Well, I, I draw. Uh, I love to draw. I've always drawn. And so this book is just full of drawings I've made over the years in a place I'm rather fond of, which is France. Now, why a France sketchbook and not a French sketchbook? Uh, well, because if it said French sketchbook, you'd think it would be sketches by French people. So this is me drawing France. It's not French. French is a language, actually. France is a place. Uh, Good point. So how did all of this begin? Back in 1967, I was living in New York, and I had never been to Europe. And as a young designer, you know, you want to go see these places that you know are important. And you know, most people in the arts, my age, when you were young, Paris was the center of the art world. It's where Picasso was. And it was the center of the movie world. It's where Bridget Bardot was. It was the center of philosophy where Sartre was. Paris was it. It was hot. And so in 1967, as a young architect in New York, I thought, I've got to go to Paris and take a look. So I, back in those days, you could get a 21-day round-trip excursion flight to Europe, pretty cheap. And so 
I dashed off in September and uh, for three weeks, and I was just blown away. It was, you know, what I hoped it would be. It was stimulating. And I started, you know, as a person who's drawn all my life, I started drawing immediately in France. Actually, the funny thing was I didn't draw much in Paris. I was so gaga. I ran around looking at everything. But when I went down to Provence for a week, and then I kind of slowed down. And when you slow down, you can draw. So I started to draw. So that's how it began. And then I've come and gone ever since for various reasons. And every time I went, I would take a sketchbook and always make sure I had time to go sit and draw. Um, you know, I found the first sentence very intriguing. I love to draw. Why do you love drawing and what does it do for you? Well, drawing, you know, drawing is an interesting act of the hand and the brain when the eye is in between. The eye, you know, people, people forget that you... Your eyes aren't separate organs like kidneys or livers or the heart. The eyes are actually part of the brain. They're, they're two, you know, there's these holes in your skull, and a couple of pieces of the brain hang out through those holes, and those are the actually retentive portions, you know, visually stimulated by light, parts of the brain. And so your seeing is actually part of your brain's activity. And so... The notion of being able to see and look carefully at things is a way of learning about the world. And, and so drawing is really about seeing. It's not about wiggling your wrist, you know. It's really about learning to look carefully at things. That, that's how I felt and still feel. That's what I tell the students anyway. <laughs> hope it's true. <laughs> it seems true. How does keeping a sketchbook help you see and help your career? Well... I think a lot of artists, a lot of designers keep sketchbooks, and they keep them for different reasons. Um, there are a lot of different kinds of drawings in sketchbooks. Some are, uh, in the sketchbooks I keep anyway, some of the drawings are about ideas for projects. You, you get an idea and you kind of make doodles and you think about it. Some of them are you see something that you want to remember, so you make a sketch of it carefully. And then some you just do for sheer pleasure or for the fact that it makes you sit and look at something and be there you know it's, it's a form of almost an existential thing about being in the world that it, to draw you have to sit still you know you have to be motionless and you and it takes time and in the time that you are drawing you think and so you're looking at something and you're thinking about the drawing but it, it stimulates other thoughts and so sketchbooks most designer, I know a lot of designers who have sketchbooks. Many of my students do. A lot of painters and sculptors I know have sketchbooks. Most of the great artists that you know, when you go to museums, they don't show them all the time. But Picasso and you know, Delacroix and all these people had sketchbooks, and and in the sketchbooks are ideas. You you put down notes, thinking toward the future about things that interest you or appeal to you, or you're still trying to puzzle about, you know? So, so there's full of different things. You know, that's why they, the sketches are quite different. Some of them are one way, some of them are another way, you know? This book, I mean, it's just beautiful. And I just want to let our listening audience know that um, you've used pen and ink and pencil and watercolor. Um, how did you choose these mediums? Uh, what was your process? The process for selecting for the book was to try and show a variety and, and uh, pick things that 
would appeal to people that are visually attractive, but or interesting. But the different choice of medium, sometimes it's an accident of the day. You're out somewhere and you only have a fountain pen with you. Other times it's, you think, well, it's an afternoon. I could go out. It's a nice day. I think I'll take my watercolors with me. You know, and I, I have a very small little box of watercolors that fits in your pocket. You know, then it, it has a little water bottle and little cakes of colors and a tiny brush and stuff. And so, you know, you, there's some days you think, well, I have the time and the luxury to do a watercolor. Or there's other days when you just happen to have a pencil. <laughs> That's all you've got. Or, or you think, well, this, this one is soft and smudgy. But the other thing is that in sketchbooks, quite often one doesn't put too much pencil because it smears where the pages rub together, whereas with the ink or the watercolor, it, it tends to be more permanent. It doesn't, doesn't smudge or smear as badly. Um, so, you know, so it's partly based on the medium and it's, it's uh, how, how expressive it is for the thing you're, you're representing, but it's also partly based on time or convenience or just accident. Yes, yeah, it shows me everywhere you went on all these trips. Now, I want to give you a chance to talk about Pablo. Uh, he did the design for this book. Yeah, he, Pablo Mandel is a designer of books. He lives in Buenos Aires, and he's done a lot of books for other people. He, he recently did a, a catalog raisonné of Cesar Pelli's work. Uh, he's done books for Peter Bolin. He, he's designed a lot of books for Oro, the publisher that did this book and my last book, Be Seated. And Pablo, one of the things about Pablo is he, he, he is a visual artist himself. And so when he designs a book, it usually turns out to be a pretty handsome piece of work in its own. I, I, he's, he's just this great guy to collaborate with, that's all. He's also a good musician, by the way. Yeah, you know, he plays the guitar, and he's a, quite a he's a, he's a he's an artist also. But his medium is usually books, which I find interesting. You mentioned many famous artists in this book. Um, I mean, you know, Delacroix, we all know, is amazing. And um, I've been to the Rodin Museum, actually, I'm in Paris too, and I loved it. Um, what did you learn uh, from these masters uh, when you copied and drew their? Their artwork. Well, one of the things in the sketchbook, there are sketches I've made of works of other artists. You're right in France and uh, Brancusi and Rodin and Delacroix. Uh, there are other artists that didn't make it into this book that I'm interested in that I looked at. But what happens is when a person like myself, other designers and artists go out, we we're interested in the work that other people do and how they do it. We're interested in how they see and. Delacroix was, you know, sort of at that odd transition between romanticism and realism. He was a great romantic in some ways, uh, and but he was facile. Oh my God, he could draw like an angel. And some of his best work was when he went to North Africa, um, and, and he he was absolutely fascinated by the horses and Arabs and the the world of the the uh, interiors in Tangier and places like that. And, and one of his greatest paintings is in the Louvre. It's the, you know, the Damazel in, in uh, uh, these four women in a, in a room. And it's, it's an incredible painting. But I, I've always liked his sketchbooks. And so one of the things I did when I was in Paris was I went to his house. And 
like Cezanne and others, he managed by the time he was finally very successfully built the studio of his dreams. Of course, by that point, he'd done most of his best work. <laughs> you do your best work usually when you're poor. And, and when you finally make it, you have this great facility, but you're kind of getting tired, you know. So quite interesting. But, but it was, so, you know, I, there are people whose work interests you and you try to, and so by looking at it and drawing it, it makes you, when you, to draw, to make sketches of things that you're, you admire, it makes you have to see them on how they're made, you know. That's, that's what I think. You know, you know, part of my assignments in, in my painting class uh, was to uh, we do master studies, we copy master artworks, and then at the end, uh, are always our last assignments to do a self-portrait. And uh, it's so funny how what we learn, you know, translates into our drawings um, and paintings, etc. Did you find that in your drawings as well? Well, what happens is when you're drawing, you know, you never know what's going to happen. The drawings have a life of their own <laughs> and, and they can go off in funny directions uh, that you didn't anticipate, but you do find yourself composing on the page as well without realizing that you really are trying to make a good page as well as a good drawing. And sometimes the, the accuracy or the verisimilitude becomes less of an issue. Um, it's, it's interesting how that happens. You can do, self-portraits that turn out to be really other people think they don't look like you at all, but you don't care. It's just, it's a good drawing. You say, well, I don't care. It's a good drawing. But um, in this case, I would say that um, I, I ask students to do copies of, go find somebody they like and do a couple of copies of it just so they see what it, how it works, the thing they like. And, and I said, you know, don't worry, you're not going to end up imitating somebody. You'll always be yourself. You can usually tell the students' drawings without them signing them who did which because they, they, their personality comes through whether they mean to or not. You know. Yes, yeah. It's funny how a little bit of yourself ends up in your, your drawings too, doesn't it? Right, absolutely. So now let's take a little trip through the book um, to Provence and Arles. Um, and I also want to mention, um, I enjoyed reading your essays in this book too. I mean, it's not just about drawing. Well, um, I do like to write and I do make notes in the books. And so this book has transcriptions of some of the notes, plus little introductions I did so people would know what, where I was and what was going on, or a little about the region if they had spent time there. Yeah, Provence is really pretty special. I mean, the Romans loved it, <laughs> the French love it, we love it. It's, it's a beautiful landscape and a beautiful climate. And I learned a lot in Provence, uh, not only about history, but about food, <laughs> about wine, <laughs> about how to live better, you know, it's that old joke about, you know, living well is the best revenge. It, it, it's sort of true. And Provence is beguiling because of its, the light, the quality of the light. And uh, it, it's usually, a, I mean, it does get quite hot at some points in the summer, but in the spring and autumn, and it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. And, you know, when I went there, I had thought that like many people, well, Van Gogh's a wonderful painter, but gee, it's a little exaggerated and, you know, it's, it's over idiosyncratic and personal. But when I got there, I, I took this bicycle and we went riding out of Arles down a road that Van Gogh had walked down and done some painting down toward Dodé's Mill and on the road to Tarascon. And 
lo and behold, I realized actually he saw it better than anyone ever has before or after. <laughs> that it was his paintings are so correct about the quality of the light and the and the the shimmer and 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 the the, the feeling of that place. And so it's just one of those you got to be there sort of things. And so it, it, I found Provence as inspiring as many other artists have. Uh, you know, Cezanne, et cetera. Yeah, I was only there a few days, and, and it was just so cool. I mean, what was even uh, neat and amazing is there were signs that marked the places where he painted this painting or that one, and what a great feeling to be at that spot to see that perspective. Yeah, I was I was in Cannes one, one time. I was working on a project for a client, and I was walking along this this upper road in Cannes, and suddenly there's a little plaque, and it said, and this is where Bonnard painted this view out over the bay. And I looked out, and I thought, oh, my God, it's right. This is where he was. He stood right here. I'm there. And that, that happens to you in Provence. You'll be going along, and suddenly, oh, yeah, this is where Matisse did that view of the Promenade d'Anglais. Hmm. <laughs> Doesn't look quite the same today, unfortunately. Yeah, it's an insight into the artistic mind. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it it helps you see what they saw by going to where they went, and and in a way, that's kind of what some of the drawings are about: is to help me see what's really there. You know. Now let's go to Haunt Provence. I think did I say that right? Where where is that at? Oh, it's 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 the upper part. Uh, it's above Exon Provence. It's, it's where the Luberon is, and it goes east toward the Alps, um, and it goes over to the, uh, to the Durance River. And it, it's an area that is, uh, the English discovered it, of course, like they discover many things. But one of the things is that it, it's an area that is less full of tourists uh, in some ways. It's sleepier, more remote and the area closer to the Mediterranean. So Haute-Provence, uh, that's where the lavender all comes from, that makes all the soaps and every, you know, fragrances that everybody has. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just below the Alps. It's quite beautiful. Um, and we discovered a little village there uh, called Dauphin. And, uh, and it, <laughs> there was, we were the only non-French people in the whole village. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's quite special. And we went for these walks, and one would keep finding Roman ruins and old ancient farms and all sorts of things like that. It's very beautiful and, and, and still not overrun. Yeah, I have the book open there. Uh, what is one of your favorite drawings from there and why? What are my favorites? <laughs> Say the, the roof terrace where we stayed in uh, Dauphin where we would have dinner every night and watch the stars um, and where the, the swifts and the swallows would be flying all around us because of the color. It's just the, it, the watercolor that I did in the book, it's actually the sun is not shining and the wall is in shade and it is so bright. <laughs> it is this, this orange color that comes from the ochre of the earth there in the Alpeel. And it, and it's a, uh, and there's this kind of blue-green color, this teal color that they paint on the window frames, and this chair that is this kind of aqua green. 
the colors there are just, they just knock you out. Uh, I mean, that's a good one, I'd say. Or maybe the one inside where I, I do the two bags of pigment <laughs> that, that it's just like, oh, my God, you know, look at the colors. And it's the pigment that they mix into the, uh, the, the, the wash that they put on the, the stucco on the outside of the building. When they do the plastering, they mix this color in. And it's the ground pigment, and it's just remarkable, the colors. Well, let me ask you something. Uh, how do you go about setting up challenges for yourself to make you, to bring your art to another level? You know, uh, what do you do to learn more and draw better? You think, well, I've done a drawing of this, but what would you do that might be more revealing or more difficult? Or, or maybe stretch yourself and try something that you haven't done. Uh, every now and then I, I would say, well, I haven't really looked at the grapes carefully. <laughs> so you know, I go sit in the vineyard, right, you know, take a little, you know, a little folding stool and go sit right next to a grapevine. I thought, well, you know, we all drink wine and we all talk about the vineyards and we all drive around, but who's actually gone and sat with the grapes and stared at them and looked really closely? <laughs> so I would go do that, you know, or, or you would think, hmm, what would happen if I did a drawing where I had something really close that was in focus. And then there was this thing way far away that I'm seeing. Cause when your eye shifts, you see the interesting thing is the eye can shift in ways that you can't really do with a camera, but in a drawing, you could put different things in focus in different places. And so sometimes I'd say, I wonder I should try a drawing. That's the way the eye moves along and start maybe on the left side of the page and have the drawing wander along the way the eye would follow and track things and have the drawing just be that, you know, so you, you make up artists, make up problems for themselves and try to solve them. Yeah. It's all interrelated. It's, it's, yeah. Design is an aspect of art and art is a, it's all, it's all the same stuff in a way, you know? Yeah. It's the right brain. Yeah. That nonverbal expression, I think. It, well, it is, and yeah, it, but but it's also related to other things, like in music, the idea of rhythm, the idea of contrast, the idea of harmony. It, it, all arts really have deal with many of the same problems. It just comes out in different forms and in different ways, and and and, and they're they're sort of non-translatable. It's like when when someone asks, I mean, Beethoven played this sonata in a in a one evening in a room with a bunch of people in Vienna. And at the end of it, this woman said the equivalent, Oh, Mr. Beethoven, that's so wonderful. What does it mean? He said, what does it mean? What does it mean? We turned around, played the whole thing all over again and turned around and said, that's what it means. That's sort of what about drawings and paintings and, and music is that they, they are an expression of something that can't be expressed some other way, you know? Yeah. It's a full layout, uh, page 446. Uh, it's a pen drawing. Um, please, Please tell me more about it. Right. It, it, so the drawings, some of them are just like a few notes, and some of them are like little mini essays. And and you have to figure out, should I spend a lot of time? You'd like people to spend as much time looking at a drawing as they spend reading a page sometimes. And most people don't do that. They don't know that it's all there to read, you know, like Yeah, that. you know, sometimes this modern era, you know, we just flip through things too fast. Um this one looks like it took a while. Um, it's very beautiful. Yeah, it's an ink drawing of uh, 
a wall fountain and then a door and then there's a ramp going up a hill and a couple of pigeons coming down a wall and then the wanders off the drawing goes off to the right and down a street and it looks like it's going to turn a corner and disappear behind some buildings yeah <laughs> it's a it's an interesting drawing actually yeah it's a whole story right there yeah it may have been almost an hour i i was just sitting there it's below the place that we had rented for that couple of weeks and it was a nice place to sit because there was this fountain that is on the left of the drawing there's another there's a watercolor of that fountain somewhere yeah, on the previous page. Uh, it's this kind of dragon-like thing that people would come there and fill their jugs with it, and kids would play in it, and the birds would drink it. And motorists would stop and fill up their canteens and stuff. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was just below the house, and I thought, oh, this is really interesting, the way a ramp goes up, you know, the street goes up, the street goes down, the street goes around the corner, the buildings are kind of blank with these small windows, which you find in the Mediterranean because of the heat and, and the glare. And so uh, I, I just thought, oh, this isn't a very expressive. But then there's all this vegetation as well. So I thought, well, it's interesting, the combination of these blank stucco plaster walls, these deep shadows from the tile, and then these, these plants that are so sharp in this bright sunlight. And so so figuring out how to draw those different things so that you get those, that sensation of, of the differences and the clarity and the contrast was something that appealed to me. And the left side of the drawing is very dense and the right side of the drawing is very open. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it, I would, this is an example of what I'm talking about, about how reading a drawing and looking at the drawing and thinking about a drawing the way one does with the text. Yeah, you have a lamp with some books on a table. Yeah, again, it's another story. And then you, you gaze out through the window. Right. And many of the drawings in the book are like that because I, I have that sort of mind where things intrigue me. And, and when you sit still long enough, you know, you will begin to see things and you begin to think about them. And, and you do end up, you know, composing the book in different ways. Your sketchbook, for instance, if you go to page, I just opened it to 82, um, Trisha, I'm in a hotel room in Paris, and I was sort of dumb, dumbstruck by these these curtains that had these red flowers on them, and then the view out the window past a grill, and then there's the lampshades and stuff, and so that the, this alternating contrast of these bright things with these plain, quiet walls. It, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's, again, it's one of those, as the eye moves across the room, I wanted the, uh, the drawing to move across the page, you know? Right, yeah. And, and it's interesting, I was, I, I did some drawing, you always do drawing, you know, when you're sitting, or, well, you can just draw standing up, but then you, you can't have a very big sketchbook, or it's hard to hold up. But, but. Part of the thing I, uh, someone asked me about, well, gee, there's a lot of drawings in cafes and bars. <laughs> I said, well, they're designed to sit in and to be leisurely and, and to spend time, which is what drawings require. Uh, and that's why there's a bunch of drawings from parks, too, because they're also meant for you to linger in and sit and be comfortable. And, and they're for socializing, you know. Yeah, Paris is more for socializing. Um, how did you like that over there? Uh, how is it different from the United States? 
Well, I I enjoyed part of the public life there much uh, greatly, and I found it very inspirational. I've tried to bring some of that quality home and in the work I do for people here. I've, and, you know, some of the work I've done in America has been, you know, parks and plazas and that sort of thing. That And I've always insisted they have, you know, cafes and bathrooms and nice places to sit and be well made uh, because it's something I admired so much and enjoyed so much there. So, so in a way, I, I, you know, there's nothing in the sketchbooks I ever imitated except the concepts and the ideas that I was learning about while doing the drawings, you know? I could see that and uh, and bring it back home. Uh, to, to travel along here, uh, what about Normandy? How was that different? Well, Nor- well, Normandy is quite fascinating, and you know it's it's toward the Atlantic, and the climate is different, and you know it's very moist and very lush, and there's all these hedgerows and you know a lot of horses and, and uh, wine and cheese and all that sort of stuff. But but there's uh, there's there are very few big cities in Normandy, almost none. And uh, it, it, it's been a battleground for thousands of years of armies coming and going, you know, from from the Celts and the Anglo-Saxons right through the Romans and then the English and the French slugging it out for generations there and all kinds of other people. And World War II, of course, you know, devastated the place. Um, and so... But it still has a lot of medieval and timber, half-timber buildings, which you don't find much anywhere else left in France. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's, it, the landscape is somehow, it, it is not as grand. There are no mountains, you know, there's not a lot of mountains. There's a couple of gorges and some, some good-sized cliffs, of course. But um, I found it uh, to be... Uh, calm and and quieter you know it's where <laughs> there's a lot of apple orchards that's where they make calvados uh that's where brie comes from and you know pont Levesque and some other you know uh some other quite smelly wonderful cheeses but um visually it's very different and distinct from say the Ile de france from the center of france from from the south or from the mountains of the, the Continental Divide near Le Puy and, uh, in that area, it's, it's uh, in the Auvergne. It's, it's, it, it has its own character, and I haven't spent enough time there to do enough drawings. There's a few, there's a handful of drawings here, but uh, most people know Normandy because they know the coast, uh, you know, not just because of World War II either, you know. It's where Coco Chanel had her first shop, as a matter of fact. Uh, no, in in, in uh, Deauville, and uh, you can go see where it was. It, it's, a, it's a tiny little thing. It's about you know fourteen feet wide. It's, it's just like a talk about a boutique. It really is a boutique. Um, then it's where Eric Satie was born and raised. And, and it's, it there's some interesting towns there. Probably you know Bayeux, of course, where the great tapestry is. is and that's worth going to see. I, there's only a one little doodle. I, it, it's a it's exhibited almost in the dark because they don't want it to fade. And you know, like curators really would rather you not see the drawing at all. They'd rather keep it in the dark totally. I think. But anyway, but it's it seems like it's a mile long. It's incredible. And uh, 
one of the things was I I only did one or two doodles of it, but it it was like this great long narrative comic strip of the story of you know the con you know William the Conqueror and and they're building the boats and leaving and going to England and you know winning and all that sort of thing. It's quite wonderful. Um, Normandy is special, uh, partly for its its uh, the how green it is with it because all the moisture coming in off the Atlantic constantly, you know, year round. Uh, it's very beautiful. Now let's turn to page, let me flip here, uh, 158. It looks like you took some notes about some plants. So where and what is this drawing? Well, if you know where you are, that <laughs> this is Monet's garden and you would, this is Giverny. Uh, and we we went there obviously to go see the famous lily pond, but also you know where he painted all those fabulous paintings. Uh, his studio is there. You can, and they have a few things in the studio. Most of the most of his paintings, of course, are all in the great museums around the world. But um, and it, it, my wife, who is a landscape architect and knows plants better than I ever will, she and I spent a lot of you know two days there just staring at the plants and looking at what was the combinations of things. And so that's a list of plants that were in the upper garden. Uh, Monet made a very interesting garden. There was a a road and a railroad. And so he he, he had the upper place where he built a garden is where all the roses and, and uh, there's espalier plants and there's gravel paths and that sort of thing, herbaceous beds. And it's quite wonderful. And he did paintings up there too, next to the house. But then he managed to get a piece of land across the road down by uh, a creek, a river. They call it a river. It's a big creek but to us here in America. But he diverted water from it into one end, built this pond with the famous bridge, and then let the water go back into the river. And so the water is, flows through, so it's very clean and, and, and aerated and all that. doesn't stagnate. And... Um, and that's where the lower garden, where the water garden is. And so we spent oh, two days there. And of course, you want to get there early before the buses from Paris arrive. And then when they all arrive and they kind of jam the place with tourists from all over the world, then you want to go have lunch. <laughs> and then, then you want to come back sort of late uh, after they're all having to leave and go to the buses and stay until the place closes when it gets really quiet and empty and you can see all the plants by yourself. So there are these things you learn this you know this isn't really a travel book but i guess it in the area of the pandemic when none of us can go anywhere it, it is a travel book yes yeah i'm i'm enjoying my little travel time here in france uh, so let's keep the travel train moving along here um where is aquitaine yeah you are that well this is it's bordeaux really you know as this is this is the area on the atlantic coast uh, just above spain where you know a lot of the wines that everybody is familiar with, like the Cabernets and the Merlots, and and the, some of those wines that Entre de Mer is an area that's between two rivers. It's full of wine, but many of the great vineyards. I mean, there are a lot of great vineyards all over France, like in Burgundy and other places, but which I have spent no time in. But this area, again, is it's coastal, and it but it has a different sunnier climate than Normandy. But this is also on the edge of the Auvergne, the Dordogne, rather. And the Dordogne 
is where all the caves are with the cave art. And uh, so, and the, the cave you know, is where they keep wine, right? Keep it cool. The, the French have been using caves for years for one thing or another. And, and so I, we've, my family, uh, my wife and her sisters and their families and a bunch of us all went there one summer and, and camped out in part of a chateau. And, and it was, uh, you know, for, you know, people that were supporting the chateau by having renters in some of the outbuildings. And uh, it was quite wonderful because I spent days just wandering around on foot among the vineyards, poking in and out and drawing and, and looking at the place. And it's, a, again, a very different landscape from, say, Normandy, uh, further up the coast, uh, more open, rolling, uh, with these river valleys that are, you know, where the early early men, early men and women were hunting the the mastodons and mammoths and all that sort of thing. And so it's a fascinating place. People have been there forever, it seems. And um, and again, they, they there are there's Bordeaux. You know, is a is a great and important and interesting city. Um, quite beautiful in its way. When we were there, it was, very, it was one of the hottest years in history, and so everybody was like gasping, but it was, it was still great. I loved it. Yeah, it looks like you painted a very detailed drawing here. You're looking out a window? Six. I'm turning, I'm finding it. Yeah, probably am. Hang on. Oh, yeah. I'm in a bedroom, yeah. It, it's called the Tuileries, this, this bedroom, named for a place you're fond of in Paris. Yeah, I, that what that is is I'm looking out of you know the, the French. Uh, this is an 18th century room, and so they're very high ceilings with these beautiful. That's what we would call French doors. There they are, French doors going out onto the terrace, and there's a elegant chair, a 17th century chair. But what you see is this oval mirror, and there's a painting of a French uh, naval officer. Uh, reflected in the mirror that was hanging on the wall. And if you recall the film uh, Master and Commander, <laughs> the, the, the great thing about the battle that took place, uh, the, the, the First World War between the French and the English went on every continent and in every ocean. But the French had really quite a remarkable navy. And most of it, the ships are all built along this area. Uh, there's a, a town that has a great rope walk and, and that sort of thing nearby that we went to visit. So there is still this sense of the the sea and its relationship to the rest of the world that one finds in Aquitaine, which I found interesting. Yeah, a little bit of the interior and the exterior. I know, I know this is a hard question, like, you know, choosing your favorite drawing or painting. Um, I want you to... What would you like the audience to know in this book? What's the first page you would like for them to flip to? Oh, you mean about this one we're talking about, this, this interior? Oh, well, um, because I think this drawing shows the, a series of different things all in one image that are thought-provoking. One is the quality of the architecture, the the height of the, the proportions of the room and how unique that is in our current experience, the notion of the history that we tend to forget about, the fact that there, there was this 
international war waged between these two great naval uh, uh, cultures, um, these these uh, marine cultures. Then uh, then the colors, you know, <laughs> the rich is beautiful, rich, warm colors. So there's there's all different sorts of things going on in this picture. There's history. There's architecture. There's uh, there's um, visual composition. There's color. So that's all those things were things that were occurring to me while I was making it that I'm sharing. Okay. Yeah. I just flipped to page 113. Yeah. The panorama and the cliff above it. Page 114, <laughs> which is um, a watercolor looking into an old mill compound that was once owned by the uh, Popes of Avignon where we rented a piece of a mill one summer by a stream in the middle of this giant vineyard uh, a few miles from Avignon. And here you can see layers of history. You see abandoned things. You see modern road signs. You see a roller dumpster for, for the garbage man. You see, you see all sorts of things. But you also see the sunlight of Provence. You see the, the kind of heat that you can almost hear the cicadas in this so i would that's that's what i would send people to oh yeah i really love this book you know the many paintings and drawings here tell little stories i didn't realize that yeah from left to right they do well that's partly because i like these horizontal sketchbooks um i found these sketchbooks in paris many years ago you know we you can get books bound uh on the long side, which then you hold vertically, which is like most novels that we read and things like that. We call that portrait because, it, you know, portraits tend to be vertical composition. And then landscapes tend to be horizontal. And so the, the book that's bound on the narrow end that opens up double, wide, long, um, you know, sort of, it's called landscape format. And I found these sketchbooks that are made that way in Lyon and I, I bought them in Paris, and I, whenever I'm in Paris, I try to get a bag full of them if I can because I fill them up. But they lend themselves to drawing landscape considerably because landscape has such extension. And so uh, one of the things about these sketchbooks, there, there are in, the, in this, this book that people can buy, there are numerous drawings in the more normal vertically bound books, but predominantly the drawings tend to be horizontal and that's because of turning your head and looking at the landscape and moving around and your eye moving. And I, I like that a lot. It works well for depicting the things that have interested me. That's a beautiful way to showcase what you did. Yeah. I like how you utilize the whole page. Well, that's, that's Pablo's genius. Pablo has a way of trying to help you see the drawings better. So he'll show you the whole double page, and then he'll take you into a piece of it. Um, his his uh, choice of how to look at my drawings to help people, to, partly to make an attractive book, but also how to help people see them, I thought was quite wonderful. I mean, uh, that's why he and I work so well together. There would be drawings that i say, why are you doing that? And he said, well, I, just, you know, I think this will look good on the page. <laughs> You'd be right. <laughs> That that is a good example. There's there's a couple of others. I think uh, not far from that. There's the one where I'm out in the middle of the field. Uh, yeah, page one twenty two, where you you can see I'm looking. I'm out in the middle of a vineyard, 
and there's a farm complex in the distance. Uh, and then off in the far distance, you see the, the kind of purpley mountains that are uh, in a gap. And through that gap, the Rhone River is just outside beyond that gap. Those are the, the mountains along the Rhone that can find it. And there's a castle up on top. You just barely see this little thing. That's San Victor Lacoste. Well, there were castles on those mountains that, you know, would defend the Rhone River or whatever. And so if you look at the whole picture, as in the little uh, vignette there, you see the whole composition. And then Pablo zeroed in to show you the brushwork and the quality of the shadows and the, the, the sort of the brush dipping back and forth to make the vineyards. He blew it up so you actually really see what I was doing in the drawing. Right. Well, and part of the idea, of course, is this is a book about drawing. It's, it's not really a book about design. It's a book. It's an art book, and it really is about drawing and the act of drawing and seeing, and then of how that interprets and brings forward a place, you know, particular places. In this case, France. If this book sells moderately well, if it doesn't turn out to be a complete bomb, there is another one coming. <laughs> And we're gonna do we're gonna do Italy next because I have far many more sketchbooks from Italy because there's been a lot more time in it. So so this is this is the warm up for the next one. Oh, and that sounds like a good note to end on. Uh, my last question is always, uh, what are you working on now? Oh, so what can we expect from Italy? Well, the next project's gonna I'm gonna start it this autumn and start going through the sketchbooks and sorting out things. But it'll be Italy, and I've been. You know, spend a lot of time in Italy for many years in the north and in in Rome, in the south, in Tuscany. Um, and there are hundreds and hundreds of drawings. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have a hard time choosing because, you know, I, I first went there in 1972 to the American Academy in Rome and lived there for two years. And I produced a few, a few drawings in two years. And then a few years later, um, I was uh, nominated and put on the board of the American Academy of Rome and was on the board of the American Academy of Rome for 20 years and coming and going and tending to it and helping to rebuild it up on the Janicolo in Rome. And, and then I got involved in helping with the idea of doing a book about La Foce, uh, which is near Montepulciano, to help uh, preserve it for, for its owner, Benedetto Arrigo. And, you know, we would take family trips to Venice and we'd, we'd go to Naples and we'd do other things, you know, spring break or we'd go there in the summer. I'd go there for the Academy. So I, I came and went to Italy a lot and there are a lot of drawings. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be fun. Without Pablo though, I wouldn't even try it. <laughs> well, every artist needs a collaborator. So yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah. I'll have to go out and buy the France sketchbook so we can have that Italy book next. Yep. But it'll be probably two years before it exists. So you may as well digest this one well before I get that one out. Again, you know, thank you so much for being here today, Laura. Laura, uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, and to let our audience know, this book is France Sketchbook, published by Oro Editions in 2020 by Landscape architect Lori Olin. And I'm Trisha Keffer.
from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please send me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening today.